Welcome to A Twist of Faith. Glad to see you're all still with us. This is your host, Alex Parkview. We are still covering the deep dive of the Satanic Bible. We are finally out of the book of Lucifer, the Enlightenment. Round of applause. <sighs> the crowd goes wild. We begin our adventure into Earth, the book of Belial, the mastery of the Earth. <clears throat> the foreword to that book is as follows. The greatest appeal of magic is not in its application, but in its esoteric meanderings. The element of mystery, which so heavily enshrouds the practice of the black arts, has been fostered deliberately or out of ignorance by those who often claim the highest expertise in such matters. If the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, then established occultists would do well as maze makers. The basic principles of ceremonial magic have been relegated for so long to infinitely classified bits of scholastic mysticism that the would-be wizard becomes the victim of the very art of misdirection which he himself should be employing. An analogy may be drawn of the student of applied psychology who, though knowing all of the answers, cannot make friends. What good is the study of falsehoods unless everyone believes in falsehoods? Many, of course, do believe in falsehoods but still act according to natural law. It is upon this premise that satanic magic is based. This is a primer, a basic text on materialistic magic. It is a, it is a satanic McGuffey's reader. Belial means without a master and symbolizes true independence, self-sufficiency, and personal accomplishment. Belial represents the earth element and herein will be found magic with both feet on the ground, real, hardcore, magical procedure, not mystical platitudes, devoid of objective reason. Probe no longer, here is bedrock. So as you can tell, the Seer Book of Belial is going to be covering the magic spell weaving theory practice, that kind of stuff regarding satanic magic, as LeVay uh, has decided to call it in his introduction to the book. I'm sure we'll run into all kinds of stuff. Spoiler, I've read ahead. I know what's coming. Some of it's kind of fun. Some of it's kind of smutty. Some of it's kind of disturbing. But at this point in the Satanic Bible, I think we're used to that. And it, we honestly probably kind of expect it from everything else that LeVay has given us up to this point. So stick around. I'm going to grab a quick drink. And I will be back with the meat of the first book of the Book of Belial called The Theory and Practice of Satanic Magic, Definition and Purpose, coming up right after this. And now, almost as if no time has passed at all, we begin with the theory and practice of satanic magic, definition and purpose. The definition of magic as used in this book, the Satanic Bible, for those of you that haven't been paying attention, is the change in situations or events in accordance with one's will, which would using normally accepted methods be unchangeable. This admittedly leaves a large area for personal interpretation. It will be said by some that these instructions and procedures are nothing more than applied psychology or scientific fact called by magical terminology until they arrive at a passage in the text that is based on no known scientific finding. It is for this reason that no attempt has been made to limit the explanation set forth to a set nomenclature. Magic is never totally scientifically explainable, but science has always been, at one time or another, considered magic. 
There is no difference between white and black magic, except in the smug hypocrisy, guilt-ridden righteousness, and self-deceit of the white magician himself. In the classical religious tradition, white magic is performed for altruistic, benevolent, and good purposes, while black magic is used for self-aggrandizement, personal power, and evil purposes. No one on earth ever pursued occult studies, metaphysics, yoga, or any other white light concept without ego gratification and personal power as a goal. It just so happens that some people enjoy wearing hair shirts and others prefer velvet or silk. What is pleasure to one is pain to another, and the same applies to good and evil. Every practitioner of witchcraft is convinced that he or she is doing the right thing. Magic falls into two categories, ritual or ceremonial, and non-ritual or manipulative. Ritual magic consists of the performance of a formal ceremony taking place, at least in part, within the confines of an area set aside for such purposes and at a specific time. Its main function is to isolate the otherwise dissipated adrenal and other emotionally induced energy and convert it into a dynamically transmittable force. It is purely an emotional rather than intellectual act. Any and all intellectual activity must take place before the ceremony, not during it. This type of magic is sometimes known as greater magic. Non-ritual or manipulative magic, sometimes called lesser magic, consists of the wile and guile obtained through various devices and contrived situations, which when utilized can create change in accordance with one's will. In olden times, this would be called fascination, glamour, or the evil eye. Most of the victims of the witch trials were not witches. Often the victims were eccentric old women who were either senile or did not conform to society. Others were exceptionally attractive women who turned the heads of the men in power and were not responsive to their advances. The real witches were rarely executed or even brought to trial as they were proficient in the art of enchantment and could charm the men and save their own lives. Most of the real witches were sleeping with the Inquisitors. This is the origin of the word glamour. The anti antiquated meaning of glamour is witchcraft. The most important asset to the modern witch is her ability to be alluring or to utilize glamour. The word fascination has a similarly occult origin. Fascination was the term applied to the evil eye. To fix a person's gaze, in other words, fascinate, was to curse them with the evil eye. Therefore, if a woman had the ability to fascinate men, she was regarded as a witch. Learning to effectively utilize the command to look is an integral part of a witch's or warlock's training. To man manipulate a person, you must first be able to attract and hold his attention. The three methods by which the command to look can be accomplished are the utilization of sex, sentiment, or wonder, or any combination of these. A witch must honestly decide into which category she most naturally falls. The first category, that of sex, is self-evident. If a woman is attractive or sexually appealing, she should do everything in her power to make herself as enticing as possible, thereby using sex as her most powerful tool. Once she has gained the man's attention by using her sex appeal, she is free to manipulate him to her will. The second category is sentiment. Usually older women fit into this category. This would include the cookie lady type, 
who might live in a little cottage and be thought of by people as being a bit eccentric. Children are usually enchanted by the fantasy that this type of wish can provide for them, and young adults seek her out for her sage-like advice. Through their innocence, children can recognize her magical power. By conforming to an image of the sweet little old lady next door, she can employ the art of misdirection to accomplish her goals. The third category is the wonder theme. This category would apply to the woman who is strange or awesome in her appearance. By making her strange appearance work for her, she can manipulate people simply because they are fearful of the consequences should they not do as she asks. Many women fit into more than one of these categories. For example, the young girl who has an appearance of freshness and innocence, but at the same time is very sexy, combines sex and sentiment. Or the femme fatale who combines sex appeal with sinister overtones, uses sex and wonder. After evaluating her assets, each witch must decide into which category or combination of categories she fits, and then utilize these assets in their proper form. To be a successful warlock, a man must similarly fit himself into the proper category. The handsome or sexually appealing man would naturally fit into the first category, sex. The second or sentiment category would apply to the older man who has perhaps an elfin or forest wizard appearance. The sweet old grandpa, often a dirty old man, would also be in the sentiment category. The third type would be the man who presents a sinister or diabolic appearance. Each of these men would apply his particular brand of the command to look in much the same way as the woman previously described. Visual imagery utilized for emotional reaction is certainly the most important device incorporated in the practice of lesser magic. Anyone who is foolish enough to say looks don't mean a thing is indeed deluded. Good looks are unnecessary, but looks certainly are needed. Odor is another important manipulative factor in lesser magic. Remember, animals fear and distrust anyone or anything that doesn't smell. And even though we may, as human animals, deny many of the judgments based on the sense consciously, we still are motivated by our sense of smell just as surely as any all-fours animal. If you are a man and wish to enchant a woman, allow the natural secretions of your body to pervade the atmosphere immediately around you and work in animalistic contrast to the vestments of social politeness that you wear upon your back. If you as a woman wish to bewitch a man, do not fear that you might offend simply because the oils and fragrances of your flesh have not been scrubbed away or that place between your thighs is not dry and sterile. These natural odors are the sexual stimulants which nature in her magical wisdom has provided. The sentiment stimulants are those odors that will appeal to pleasant memories and nostalgia. The enchanting of a man through his stomach is first established by the smell of cooking, a sentiment type of which will find this one of the most useful of all charms. It is not so facetious to dwell upon the technique of the man who wished to charm the young lady who had been displaced from her home of childhood joys, which happened to be a fishing village. Wise to the ways of lesser magic, he neatly tucked a mackerel into his trouser pocket and reaped the rewards that great fondness may often bring. So, LeVay Strait says there that a lot of the talk of magic that he's going to be talking about is going to be of the scientific grounded in reality stuff. You see, he's talking about pheromones, the essence of the crotch, the natural odors, scientific things, but they cast that spell, air quotes around, cast the spell of enchantment, lust, over people that you're trying to bewitch because the sense of smell is 
probably, I want to say the strongest, if not the second strongest. I forget the scientific whatever behind that, but they say like scent memory is more powerful than anything else, except maybe audio memory, like music. It's either scents and songs, and I forget the order, but that provides most powerful memories. Like for me, Old Spice does it because my dad wore Old Spice when I was a kid. So like to this day, if I catch with Old Spice, I'm instantly mentally transported back to my childhood. In that sense, that goes along with what LaVey is talking about with the mental stimulation by the senses of the odors and uh, having the effect on somebody. It's not to say that you could enchant me with Old Spice because I love my dad, but not like that. You say freaks. Um, but the stuff that he talks about with like man's stomach or if you know somebody came up in a fishing village and they were displaced modern times you know that would be like somebody has fond memories of their first love and it was in the forest in autumn times so you find something that has that uh autumnal scent to it and you just pocket that like some herbs like a uh, sage maybe because that goes with the autumnal theme um you would then transport them back to that mental place of happiness lust freedom being the bad person doing what their family didn't want them to do because it was inappropriate etc you get the idea so levee is basically saying by capitalizing on sense and appearances you can persuade other people to act in certain other ways is the gist of this first little blurb here we're going to get into more, which is going to be the three types of satanic ritual. But yeah, as far as his principles behind magic, it's just a lot of common sense, psychiatry, psychology, human body. Like I said, just a lot of the pheromones and the natural occurrences that, for lack of a better definition, at any given time in the past could have been attributed to magic. Is all he was talking about in that first intro book there. And then there was the three types of satanic ritual. There are three types of ceremony incorporated in the practice of satanic magic. Each of these correspond to a basic human emotion. The first of these we shall call a sex ritual. Sounds fun. A sex ritual is what is commonly known as a love charm or spell. Anybody who's seen Harry Potter knows all about the fucking love spells. Make sure you've got fucking Slughorn in the background with the antidote. Holy shit. The purpose in performing such a ritual is to create desire on the part of the person whom you desire or to summon a sex partner to fulfill your desires. If you have no specific person or type of person in mind strong enough to cause direct sexual feeling culminating in orgasm, you will not succeed in performing a successful working. The reason for this is that even if the ritual was successful by accident, what good would it serve you if you could not take advantage of your eventual opportunity because of lack of stimulation or desire? It is easy to confuse enchantment for your ulterior motives with spellcasting to satisfy your sexual desires. Enchantment for self-aggrandizement when accompanied by ceremonial magic, falls into the category of either the compassion or the destruction ritual, or possibly both. If you want or need something so badly you are sad or feel much anguish without it, and can obtain it through the use of glamour and enchantment, 
without causing hurt on another's part, then this would incorporate a compassion ritual to increase your power. If you wish to enchant or entrap a deserving victim for your own purposes, you would employ a destruction ritual. These formulas are to be adhered to as applying the wrong type of ritual towards a desired result can lead to a trouble of a complicated nature. A good example of this is the girl who finds herself plagued by a relentless suitor. If she has done little to encourage him, then she should recognize him for the psychic vampire he is and let him play his masochistic role. If, however, she has enchanted him frivolously, giving him every encouragement, and then finds herself a steady object of sexual desire, much to her dismay, she has no one to blame but herself. Such exercises are only ego boosts, born of an indoctrination of ego denial, which makes those little bewitchments necessary. The Satanist has enough ego strength to use enchantments for her own sexual gratification, or to gain power or success of a specific nature. The second type of ritual is of a compassionate nature. The compassion or sentiment ritual is performed for the purpose of helping others or helping oneself. Health, domestic happiness, business activities, material success, and scholastic prowess are but a few of the situations covered in a compassion ritual. It might be said that this form of ceremony could fall into the realm of genuine charity, bearing in mind that charity begins at home. The third motivating force is that of destruction. This is a ceremony used for anger, annoyance, disdain, contempt, or just plain hate. It is known as a hex, curse, or destroying agent. One of the greatest of all fallacies about the practice of ritual magic is the notion that one must believe in the powers of magic before one can be harmed or destroyed by them. Nothing could be further from the truth as the most receptive victims of curses have always been the greatest scoffers. The reason is frighteningly simple. The uncivilized tribesman is the first to run to his nearest witch doctor or shaman when he feels a curse has been placed upon him by an enemy. The threat and presence of harm is with him consciously, and belief in the power of the curse is so strong that he will take every precaution against it. Thus, through the application of sympathetic magic... He will counteract any harm that might come his way. This man is watching his step and not taking any chances. On the other hand, the enlightened man, who doesn't place any stock in such superstition, relegates his instinctive fear of the curse to his unconscious, thereby nourishing it into a phenomenally destructive force that will multiply with each succeeding misfortune. Of course, every time a new setback occurs, the non-believer will automatically deny any connection with the curse, especially to himself. This emphatic conscious denial of the potential of the curse is the very ingredient that will create its success through setting up of accident-prone situations. In many instances, the victim will deny any magical significance to his fate, even unto his dying gasp. Although the magician is perfectly satisfied so long as his desired results occur, it must be remembered that it matters not whether anyone attaches any significance to your working, so long as the results of the working are in accordance with your will. The superlogician will always explain the connection of the magical ritual to the end result as coincidence. Whether magic is performed for constructive or destructive purposes, 
The success of the operation is dependent on the receptivity of the person who is to receive the blessing or curse, as the case may be. In the case of a sex or compassion ritual, it helps if the recipient has faith and believes in magic, but the victim of a hex or curse is much more prone to destruction if he does not believe in it. So long as man knows the meaning of fear, he will need the ways and means to defend himself against his fears. No one knows everything, and as long as there is wonder, there will always be an apprehension of the unknown, where there are potentially dangerous forces. It is this natural fear of the unknown, a first cousin to the fascination towards the unknown, that impels the man of logic towards his very explanations. Obviously, the man of science is motivated to discovery by his very sense of wonder. And yet, how sad that this man who calls himself logical is often the last to recognize the essence of ritual magic. If religious faith and fervor can make bleeding wounds appear on the body, an approximation to the wounds supposedly inflicted on Christ, it is called stigmata. These wounds appear as a result of compassion driven to an emotionally violent extreme. Why, then, should there be any doubt as to the destructive extremes of fear and terror? The so-called demons have the power to destroy in a flesh-rending manner. Theoretically, as much as a handful of nails, long rusted away, can create blood-dripping ecstasy in a person convinced he is hooked upon the cross of Calvary. Therefore, never attempt to convince the skeptic upon whom you wish to place a curse. Allow him to scoff. To enlighten him would lessen your chance of success. Listen with benign assurance as he laughs at your magic, knowing his days are filled with turmoil all the while. If he is despicable enough by Satan's grace, he might even die laughing. A word of warning to those who would practice these arts concerning sex or lust. Take full advantage of spells and charms at work. If you be a man, plunge your erect member into her with lascivious delight. If you be a woman, open wide your loins in lewd anticipation. Concerning compassion, be resolved that you'll have no regrets at the expense of the help that you have given others, should their newfound blessings place an obstacle in your path. Be grateful for things that come to you through the use of magic. Concerning destruction, be certain you do not care if the intended victim lives or dies before you throw your curse, and having caused their destruction, revel rather than feel remorse. Heed well these rules, or in each case you will see a reversal of your desires, which will harm rather than help you. Thus speaketh LeVay. I mean, he's certainly embracing the theatrics of it towards the end there. I mean, I love this one just because, like, who doesn't love a good fucking mental picture of, like, thrusting loins, etc. His thing where he says, if you're a man, plunge your erupt member into her with lascivious delight. If you be a woman, open wide your loins in lewd anticipation. Like, that's just some hot fucking mental imagery going on there. And I love the fact that he says basically all magic, satanic magic, it's all like <clears throat> uh, psychosomatic as far as the result, like stigmata being a psychosomatic thing, where you just, you're such a compassionate person, and air quotes, empath, if you believe in such things, where like you feel Christ's pain so strongly from the crucifixion of the Christian faith that you 
begin to not only visualize but actually feel on your own body those stick wounds of the stigmata, the nails through the hands and the feet and the crown of thorns across the brow, the bloody tears. But then LeVay, who goes from the very scientific approach with magic, says, make sure you follow these steps and don't care what the people that you're trying to destroy magically think. And make sure you, you have that erect member and you're plunging it and your loins are spread if you're going for the sex route. He says, you got to do it just the way I say. Otherwise, it's going to fucking blow up in your face and it's not going to work. So basically, if you're casting sex magic and you're not ready to fucking just get it on and you screw yourself over, no pun intended, mentally, then you're going to royally fuck yourself out of the chance to fuck. Like, you have to put your belief into your power if you are the caster of these Levian satanic magics. But the person you are casting said magics on doesn't need to believe a damn thing. He says for the compassionate, the sexual, etc., it helps if they believe. But for the destructive, and I, I'm really going to take a minute and focus on this destructive here. He says uh, if they don't believe, it's even better. I mean, have you ever like had it happen to you or hell, seen it in a movie or something where somebody's like, oh, I curse your family. And then something happens. And it's something that would have happened anyways. But because they were just cursed, this they're like, I don't believe in that shit. This has got to be a coincidence. But then something else happens. Like, they're subconsciously making themselves a victim of this fabricated curse because of the power of the unconscious mind. Like, they don't believe in external forces, but they are very much aware that they have been cursed. That's pushed into their unconscious. The unconscious Part of the mind is then going to curse them for the person who's attempting to destroy them. It's like a mind fuck to think about in that terminology, but I mean, it's like voodoo. They say you can't be harmed by voodoo if you don't believe in it. But like, I know millions of people who don't believe in voodoo dolls, but they see one, they know the history, they're aware of it. Whether or not they believe in it, the awareness of it, I think, is enough to freak out some people to achieve the desired psychosomatic effect that LeVay is talking about through the casting of these spells. I just love how he goes from the whole magic's not really real to make sure you fucking follow my instructions to the T. Otherwise your spells are going to harm rather than hurt you again. Spoiler. I've read ahead. He goes into some straight up quote unquote spell work a little further and nothing too extreme. There's a whole nother satanic book about uh, rites and rituals and magics. I forget the title of it, top of my head, but there's a whole book he focused on that stuff. But he gets into some of the, like, intro level in these upcoming pages, so just more to think about. The man is very hypocritical at times. Like, I think he believed what he meant. Maybe he just didn't know how to word what he meant. Because he's telling you that magic's not real, but it's real enough to fucking kill you. But at the same time, he's telling you that you have to do it a certain way, but it doesn't matter how you do it. Like, maybe just enough gray area on each side to where he gets the stragglers on both sides of the faith spectrum. I don't, like, he played it very loose in some of his descriptions. Lots of good info, lots of great sexual, like, mental imagery going on. But 
I just feel like he played it a little loose as far as his descriptors because he was trying to appeal to as wide of a base as was possible for the time. Which, if his whole role was to get more followers and to negate the Catholic Church, then, I mean, mission accomplished, I guess. Satanism, it may not be like one of the top two or three religions. I don't know its place in the charts of the world. It may not be one of the top religions, but it's well enough known like I covered in the other episode, the Black Mass, everybody's heard of a Black Mass. Whether you knew what one was before you listened to the episode or not, everybody's heard of one. Because people, especially growing up, the Catholic Church, the Pope, discrediting the Black Pope of the Satan, like it's a whole thing. It's a back and forth, give and take. Religions like to shit on each other. What can I tell you? But this has been our uh, intro look at Earth, the Book of Belial, the Mastery of the Earth. And this one, thank fuck, is not as long as Lucifer to the Enlightenment, because I could not go through that one again if I wanted to. It's nothing against the book, just the length alone drained the shit out of me. I'm sure some of you noticed that, recognized that in my voice in some of the episodes. But we're going to go through this in a clip. Um, I'm home again tomorrow because of the fucking pipe situation. It's been slightly resolved, but we got to put a new meter in the basement because it has some drippage going on, but I at least have running water again, so fucking yay. Told you I wasn't being cursed by the heavens. Told you, fucking mark it. <clears throat> but uh, home again tomorrow, so I know I normally go on Wednesdays. You might get yet another bonus episode out of me just because I'm going to be bored out of my fucking skull. Sure, long weekends are fun, but when you set your own hours, I go fucking stir-crazy, man. So, quick uh, conclusion after this, and then I'll peace out until the next episode. Hopefully you learned something out of today's book reading. As this episode draws to a close, I just wanted to say thank you to all of my listeners for sticking this out with me. I know from experience reading it, the Satanic Bible can be a little dry at times, can be a bit much. I mean, I condense, shorten certain parts of it just because time constraints. I try to keep my episodes within a tolerable range to be listened to without boring you out of your fucking gourd, throwing my stupid little references that I enjoy, like Harry Potter with the love potions. If you know, you know. If you don't, watch a fucking Harry Potter movie or read a book. It's great. Ron got the end of the stick on that one. Just, um, we're dwindling down now. We're more than halfway through the book, so we're on the back nine, if you want to compare it to golf, which I hate golf, but people are at least familiar with that reference. We're at the beginning of the second half. We're going towards E from half a tank. However you want to look at it, we are on the downward thrust of the Satanic Bible. Don't forget next, after I finish this, my big one after this is going to be Dante's Inferno. I may have like a breather episode in between the Satanic Bible and Dante's Inferno. Just some spiel like how I did my pilot episode on tattoos and old versus new. May incorporate something just to break it up a little bit before I jump right into Dante. If you're not familiar with Dante, you're going to love Dante, especially the way I do stuff. Because, I mean, y'all see the color I add to the shit I read about. Just imagine what I'm going to do when I get into Dante. So, um, again, any correspondence, love mail, hate mail, just want to say hi mail, twistoffaithpodcast at gmail.com. Rate, comment, review here. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, obviously you have the comment section right there. If you're on YouTube, please uh, subscribe, like, subscribe, share on any of the platforms. Share it with your friends. I'm just—I I, want to get this out to people. 
shit like this is not done in the world because the two things you are never supposed to discuss is religion and politics. Personally, can't stand fucking politics, but you're damn right I'm going to talk about religion because that's what I was raised to do. I mean, for like an oversimplification perhaps, but it's what I was raised to do is talk about religion. And again, I know I rip on the Catholic faith a lot, but overall I try to remain very unbiased. I try to push my own biases aside. I will never say what I think you should do. I'm not going to mock your belief, your faith in something. If I'm mocking the Catholic faith, that's one thing. I'm not going to mock somebody for being a Catholic. Like, there's a difference there. That kind of thing. So just, uh, yeah. Thanks for sticking it out with me. we got to finish up the Satanic Bible. Maybe another derpy little filler episode. I'll find something fun to talk about. Hell, maybe I'll tackle one of the big ones like abortion. Because there's a bunch of that in the Christian Bible, and we all know what a hot topic that is, and I'm the one who's willing to shoot myself in the foot by doing a false fucking episode about it. But, uh, so we're going to finish up the Satanic Bible over the next few episodes, and, uh, from there we're going to jump into something. I'm not promising an abortion issue, so don't get all fucking super excited about it. I'm just throwing spitballing right now. But, uh, we'll do something, and then we'll jump into Dante... I'm going to do the Inferno, then I'm probably going to go into some other stuff, then I'll go back to Dante, but not the Inferno, I'll go back into the Purgatorio, then something else, and then the Paradiso, because Dante, as you know, or may not know, is the Inferno, the Purgatorio, and the Paradiso, which is hell, purgatory, and heaven, again, of Catholic decree, but I'm not going to let my disdain of the Catholic faith negatively affect my coverage of Dante, because I love Dante as a literary work. So it's going to be fun, at least for me. I hope you all enjoy it, but I have a blast doing these. You just, you got to stick it out on some of the stuff, like the Satanic Bible. I mean, some of you could be like, oh my God, this is great. I can't wait for the next episode. I'm a Satanist now. More power to you if that's the case. For me, it doesn't do it, because I I just can't get behind everything the man says. You hear me week to week. I agree. I disagree. I mock. I agree with parts. I condemn for certain ideals that he has just from my readings of them, like, I am not a Satanist. If you choose to be a Satanist based on what I am teaching you, fucking more power to you. Uh, More power to your ascription and the belief of Satanism. Anything I can do to help you understand something, choose something, question something, be open to something, have an idea, a thought about something... There does seem to be, like I said, that one common theme amongst all the religions I've looked at in my lifetime... And it's not the golden rule, shockingly, because Satanism takes a nice twist on that one. But the overall theme that I can find is don't be a shitty human. And you're not going to hear many priests or whatever talking about that because can't cuss in religion. Eh, obviously, they'd hate my fucking podcast. But don't be a shitty human. Uh, have an independent thought. Form an idea. Ask a question. If you want to ask me a question, go ahead. I'm not going to give you some scholarly answer, but I promise you I will give you an educated answer. I will at least do the bare minimum research to get you a satisfactory answer to your question. And again, like I said, Twist of Faith Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, fucking YouTube, all the places, all the things. And I'm just going to close because I'm running a little long this week. So this has been A Twist of Faith. As always, I'm Alex Parkview. Tune in next time.